Welcome back to the French Rugby Podcast with me, Tim Groves, ex-Scotland international and adopted Frenchman, Johnny Beattie. And we're going to be joined shortly by a man who guided Perpignan to another season of top four team rugby by winning the dreaded relegation promotion playoff last weekend. But how's your week been, Johnny? Seen any more of the family this week? Honestly, um, <laughs> when, when did we last speak? We spoke when I was in Marseille, I think. Is it Wednesday or Thursday? I can't remember. When I was late for Greg last week, which is rude. Oh yeah, you turned up in the end. It's all right. I got there in the end for five minutes. It's a complete waste of space. Um, <laughs> since then, I've been in... I was in Lyon with Mathieu Bastereau. I think Marseille was Paul Valemse. Uh, mate, I've been everywhere. Um, and it isn't stopping. We've still got Nice with Bernard Larue to do... I think we're going to be in Saint-Etienne with Wesley Fofana. Maybe a couple of the boys from Clermont as well and from Lyon. You left them off the list last week. The list is getting longer and longer. <laughs> well, do you know, weirdly, it's actually the boy... We should have I explained what this is for last week? You did, as you sort of mentioned, it's for World Cup preview city guy, yeah. So, again, with the delirium and fatigue, I don't know what I've said, what I haven't said. So, <laughs> that, that'll all be somebody asked, Where will that be? So, it'll be all over YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, all the social channels. Then, if anyone on TV picks it up, we'll go on TV. Um, but it's been great fun just rocking around these different towns, doing some ridiculous things like the food we were having with Machu Bastro, pigs, trotters, tripe. Dark heart, like trying all these obscure things that he'd never tried. I was going to say, is that his choice or yours? No, it's like that's going for like an authentic, that's what you go and eat. It's way everything. But he hadn't tried it either. So been here, there and everywhere. I got back literally last night at midnight. Finn, our youngest, woke me up at 5 a.m. this morning. Um, so, you know, things don't change. But it's been absolutely class in terms of an experience and, and something to do. But it's been exhausting. And it's not going to get any easier. I think over the next two weeks... We've got two times to finish. We've also got a World Rugby Conference in Dublin. Then there's another like training course of World Rugby in London. But I'm hoping if I get through June, then July and August, there'll be no rugby on. It'll be a bit of downtime and more family time. But mate, it's been manic, but excellent. And this is legit. This is not your way of getting out of parenting. This is all World Rugby business. It's all their fault. That's exactly what it is. That's exactly <laughs> what I'm saying. Mate, where are you? You're in a different room. You sound all echoey. Yeah, apologies you? for that. I am literally on the beach. Well, not literally. I'm in a villa, but I'm like a, a Bayern or a Toulon. My season's finished early and I'm on the beach. I'm in the Algarve, Johnny. With family, that must be relaxing. You having a nice time? You're joking. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone else is having a great time. I'm keeping on the sofa in a five-bed villa and getting up every hour of the night. But yeah, <laughs> so everyone else is having a great time. Some things will never change. Enjoy it, mate. You'll be all right. You'll get through it. Oh, well, and in addition to your busy week of city guides, you covered both of the barrage last weekend. I did. Stade Francais Racing talked to me, marred by a red card after five minutes for Marcus Kramer for a hit on Finn Russell, of all people, in a ruck. God knows when the last time he was last in a ruck. Was that just bad timing and judgment, or did he actually eye him up and know exactly what he was doing? I don't It's the context of a derby, right? So you're in playoffs, you've got a chance to go through the semifinals. You're just thinking, like, keep your head... Uh, no emotion, stick to the game plan, win some collisions and, and we'll get through it. And then, oh my days, does he lose the plot? He's just been so pumped up that he's tried to counter up, but not looked at all what's in front of him. Or maybe he has looked in front of him and thought he was a chance to mark Finn. I'm going to absolutely batter him. And he's mullered them with one of the worst counter rucks I think I've ever seen. Mm. Um, shoulder straight to the head which resulted in a hefty HIA. Like, Finn looked in real bother, but it could have been a really bad neck injury. Like, it was that type of impact. And that was the game, in that if he stays on that field, Stade Francais would win that game, simply because they had a scrum that was dominant, even with seven people. 
So they were down 130 kegs with Marcos Kremer and they were winning scrum penalties and they were dominating Rassing. And if they'd had the full complement, they'd have won the game purely based on scrum dominance. So infuriating, a really disappointing way for him to finish the season to leave the club for Gonzalo Casada as well, who leaves his head coach. That was his last game in charge in Paris. Um, I don't know, just to finish on that note, but it was such a bad red card. Like There was no even, even the follow-throughs. He's followed through by smashing Finn's head and then he swung with an arm to try and get somebody else yeah. as well that he, he could have copped a yellow for. And you just think it's one of those moments that sometimes you see red and you regret straight away. You could see he was in tears on the side of the field realizing what he'd done, but that's it. The, the game was gone. Although it was tight and it wasn't the most glamorous affair, it was just too big a hill for Stade Francais to climb. And impossible for us to know, obviously, what he's thinking at that point, whether it was deliberate, whether he just got his height wrong, what he was thinking. But when you watch the replay, it looks for all the world that everyone all can see where he's going. <laughs> it looks like the guard for Rassing knows exactly what he's doing. He's trying to come across and cut him off. It just looks so obvious. It looked horrendous. I, I genuinely think it's the one of the worst I've ever seen, especially since we've had the rules come in to protect people's heads and shoulder-to-head contacts. Like I genuinely don't think I've seen something as cut and dried and as reckless um, since those rules have been brought in. So, look, horrendous for him. I mean, is it horrendous for him? I mean, you get the red card, but fully deserved red card. Horrendous for Stade Francais. Horrible for Finn as well um, to have that coming through, that weight and power coming through your head and your neck. But what that's meant is Racing have taken it. They've kicked on. They weren't outstanding, but they've earned themselves a spot in the semis this weekend just down the road from me. So, well done to them. And you mentioned how tough both barrage were to call two away wins because Madash Tambwe sort of inspired Bordeaux, didn't he, in the end at Lyon? Yeah, they were, cl- they were close to call because three to six have been fairly inconsistent. And then bizarrely two away wins. So Racing had actually already won at Stade Francais. Stade Francais had absolutely smashed Racing at their place early in the season. But in the other fixture in, in, in uh, Bordeaux against Lyon, both sides have won at home. So that was trickier to call. And Bordeaux were dominated in the first period. Lyon were actually very good. When you consider what, everything they've been through, we talked about it last week with Garbajosa, tumultuous season, trying to get him ousted. Players not happy. That goes back now two or three months. But three individual efforts, one from Mathieu Jalibert in the first half, um, from turnover ball, takes the ball to gain line and absolutely smokes Taufinua. And then Maddox Tamwe, oh my wheel. Like absolutely freakish. Two top-class tries that have essentially seen his side through to a semi-final out of nothing and that they didn't have too much of a foothold in the game. But the effort and the pace, there's not too many people on the international or club circuit that you're like, okay, that's an absolute point of difference and a huge game changer. But that fella, the wheels on him, the two tries, if you look back and see the highlights of the tries that he scored on YouTube, absolutely incredible. And that's been enough to see them through in that they just managed to stick with Leon throughout the game. They just did enough. And then they had three moments that were absolutely magical. And again, solo efforts. But what that means for Garbajosa, after having that mutiny two, three months ago, it actually ended up out with Mathieu Bastro as well in Leon after our day's filming, met up with a few of the players. And like, they don't know, but like the rumor from other people that you bump into in Leon that were just chatting about rugby was that now there'll be a full like HR probe, interrogation process, consultation from external um, investigators, which doesn't smell good. Um, and weirdly, like the timing as well, if he's to leave, does the whole coaching team with him go with him? You've got Kenny Lynn, you've got Connie Basson that's there as well that's doing a decent job. And then you've also got Gonzalo Casada, who's now available and free and looking for a club and looking for an next project. So I don't know what's going to happen, but I get the feeling that there's going to have to be a change. 
And in a way, given everything that's been going on, they've done well to get to that point with the last sort of few games of the season they had. Who knows who was really in control of that, whether it was players taking control assistance or whether it was Garbajosa. But, you know, they, they finished the season strongly, the regular season. Well, I think they I think they lost every game in April, effectively. They lost five games in April. I think they had five fixtures. And then May, they kind of rallied. And that was enough to get them over the line and get home barrage. So... Look, it was enough. And how much of it comes down to that break in a relationship behind the scenes, then galvanizing a playing group and then taking things by the scruff of the neck? Or like, there's been all sorts. And the garbage also was like, oh, we need to meet at this time. Bef-. Stupid things. Like, we need to meet this time before the game. Let's get together. They said, no, nah, we don't want to do that. And the players are kind of deciding, which when that starts happening, it's only going to end one way. So, whatever way or whatever has happened over the past three, four weeks, it's brought them together. They've played a better brand of rugby, but ultimately, collectively, staff and playing group, it wasn't enough to to run over Bordeaux, who, again, haven't been that consistent, but that's a huge win for them. And what about the access match, Johnny? He said Perpignan would be too strong for Grenoble, and it was nip and tuck for a long time, but they were in the end. Look, it's such a hard fixture. You speak to anyone that's played in it, and it's brutal. Traditionally so tough. Grenoble actually played some extremely good stuff. Roman Bartelme, my old mate, was playing 10. Um, him and his halfback partner, they tried to accelerate everything, run everything, and it made for a manic, manic start to the game. Um, but just that type of pressure for Perpignan, like knowing you've probably got a little bit more, but that being leveled by the atmosphere, what that means to Grenoble, to the players, to 20,000 pans that are baying for your blood and desperate for their side to go up. But in the end, Perpignan, the just had a little bit too much. It was kind of what we talked about last week. They still have that top 14 power. Their mall worked really well for them and they scrapped really well. Um, and what is one of the most daunting fixtures in the calendar? Nobody wants to play that game. It was interesting as well to hear Matthew Acebes, the captain after the game, saying this is never a game that we should play. We should never be here. I'm like, mate, there's a reason that you're there. <laughs> there's a reason that you're here together um, and you scrapped it out and you've won it again. So look, well done to them. Incredible celebrations and quite right as well they were definitely the better side uh, too much power caliber player that was just a little nudge above Grenoble and they secured the future in top 14 which is the most important thing huge relief for players staff and the club and all the supporters so well done then and for most listeners especially those outside of France this will come as massively bizarre news but Grenoble have now gone from the verge of the top 14 just mm. losing out on that match in the final quarter to being as we record this, relegated to Federal Alarm for financial reasons. So how does that work? And how about the timing? I know they'll be able to appeal, but it's bizarre, isn't it? They have appealed. Um, but where's your head at if you're a player there? Mm. And the stat, I mean, going from being 10 points away from being in the top 14 to then realising you're in Pro Deux, but then two days after the end of your well, party, the end of your blowout of barbecue, realising that your club's been relegated for financial irregularities they've actually been relegated and given a six point docking so they should now start next year not in top 14 not in probably do a level down minus six points and probably with huge financial penalties so mentally you feel for them everyone involved in the club and for the people running it you see the scenes back in England as well and how things have gone London Irish and you just think come on get this sorted, whatever the functionals that are needed. And it's been because they hadn't shown or provided proper paperwork for this season. And they all, they also had to show projections for the, the following season for 23, 24, and they hadn't done it. So kind of similar to London Irish, and they couldn't guarantee the financials, the stability of the club. 
therefore they've been pulled down. But man, you just have to think for the players, for the staff, for the fans, the emotional roller coaster of that week of being this far away from sniffing the top 14 to now not even being in Pro De that must be absolutely hellish. Right. We'll chat a bit about the top 14 semi-finals later on, but let's find out what your meter moment of the week is first, Johnny. It's Bordeaux, mate. And we just spoke about the game, obviously only a few games this weekend, but again, a complex season. Christoph Urios removed from post, lack of confidence, a few hard losses early in the season, but just to win the manner, you could see the delight on their faces, how much it meant as well. Matthew Jalibert, big Kane Douglas as well, friend of the show who came on. Um, big Ben Tamifuna, who couldn't play because he broke his finger in training a couple of weeks ago. Because he had too much cheese with you. Uh, probably, probably <laughs> far too much cheese. But you just think about where they've come from, the depths of the season, the despair, the crisis meetings, all that shit that we've all been and done and not enjoyed. Um, and so to see the joy on their faces from not that much of the game, but three huge moments, tries from Jalibert and two absolute bangers from Madosh Tambwe. Um, for them to have secured a semi-final after where they were earlier in the season is insane. There we go. That was Johnny's meter moment of the week. And meter is the world's number one wireless meat thermometer, recently making over 20 million cooks better with their game-changing app and completely wireless Bluetooth meat probe. You can use it on a barbecue, in the oven, or in a pan, and you can get your hands on one at meter.com. Plus, you can get 10% off any full price item. All you have to do is enter the code FRENCHPOD10 at checkout. That's FRENCHPOD10, and you'll get 10% off any full price item at meter.com. Let's get our guest on now then, and we can have a chat with a man who helped secure Perpignan's top 14 status for another season. Jake McIntyre joins us. How are you doing? Yeah, good, guys. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on. And all's well that ends well. You're five points down at half time. What was said at the break? Um, yeah, look, it wasn't wasn't ideal, probably going into half time, but it was actually surprisingly calm. Um, we knew that we probably played our worst forty minutes um, possible, and but there was a real calmness, and we just said we need to play ugly. Basically, the conditions weren't great, so we had to play a bit smarter, a bit more territory, keep it in the forwards a bit more, and. Yeah, but we're very confident. I was actually surprised about how calm we were at halftime. And when you see the images of Tristan Tedder, yourself, everyone coming off on shoulders, heroes, it's one of those awful games that nobody wants to play. But does it almost feel like you've won something? Like you've won your place back in top 14. It's another year of top 14 rugby. It's a huge celebration, eh? Yeah, it's it was such a weird feeling, I think. Like it, it is a horrible week leading <laughs> to the game. Like I didn't realise how bad it would be. Um, I, yeah, I can't explain how horrible it is. But obviously, when full-time went, it was just relief. It's, there's this huge relief that, you know, we've, we're have we staying in the top, top 14, obviously. But just to send everyone out on the on the, a good note, you know, we have a few guys leaving, like Tristan. So just to finish on a good note, because it's such a great bunch of guys we have here, um, it was, yeah, just a massive kind of burden off our shoulders. So it's a completely different pressure to a cup final or a playoff game or anything, is it? Because people's <laughs> livelihoods, contracts, jobs are literally riding on this, millions. Yeah, it's actually outrageous. Like, you know, if you finish in the top six and you play a final, if you lose, yes, your season finishes, but you're back there and you do it again next season. Whereas with this game, the access match, you lose and every single person's life will change obviously with your contract most boys 
pay completely changes. Um, obviously, the sponsors, your budget, the team's budget for next year, even talking to just maybe bar owners or restaurant owners and the difference it makes for them as well. So it's not just one person or one – it's the knock-on effect is is insane. So, And I tell you what, you feel every ounce of that pressure too. It's just, yeah, I never want to do it again. So fingers crossed we don't have to. <laughs> and, mate, you scored the winning try, essentially. So with those bar owners, are you now guaranteed free beers because you've secured their futures as well? I think we um, we used up our quota in the last few days. So um, I think I think when we come back after um, the break, uh, we'll have to pay for a few. And you mentioned you never want to play in that game again. Obviously, you weren't there, but Perpignan did play in the access match last season. So if you sort of wind the clock back to pre-season, presumably this was not part of the plan at all to be in this game. But Perpignan were only promoted a few seasons ago. So... It's hard to measure, isn't it, where the bar is for Perpignan in terms of their ambition and and kind of planning and and, and what your level kind of is. But what was said before the season, presumably just finish as high as you can or? Yeah, basically. And obviously avoid the access match. Don't finish 14th, (laughs) don't finish 13th. And then um, obviously the first half of our season, um, we were in a pretty bad spot. And that's kind of our approach to the game was, if you had told us at the start of the new year that we were going to play the access match, we probably would have taken it because the fact is I think at one point we were eight points behind Breve sitting in 14th and um, we turned it around. And the fact, the way we played at the back end of the season, um, to us, we felt like we were better, better than 13th. We felt like we could compete with any team and I think it showed we beat some pretty high-class teams um so we felt like we were better than where we were and it was kind of set after the game as well everyone was obviously very relieved very happy but the captain kind of Matthew um Asabes hopped up and just said we're not doing this again you know we have to we have to be better from day one and obviously you know we're on a break now but you know we'll come back and make do everything we can to make sure that you know we're not in this situation again it's quite easy to say. Like, that's the thing. Like, once you've just won the game, you stood in front of the cameras. He's like, we don't deserve to be here. We should never have been playing this game. And you're like, well, mate, like the po- the points don't lie. Like, that's the hard bit. And the- I've been there as well. It's brutal. Top 14 is a marathon. It's a slog. If you don't have a massive squad and you're not really well coached, you're so easy. Like two games, like you mentioned, you start off eight points adrift and then you can catch up. Like momentum in the competition is so hard. But like as somebody that's been there and been relegated with the Bayonne, can you talk us through the psychology of, you know, knowing that you have a playing group that's capable, but then not churning out the results and those horrible weeks that you come in and you get grilled by coaches, like it's not an easy place to be. And I think if you're part of like super rugby or you're part of URC and you don't have relegation, you never see those days really like you have down days, but in the top 14, it means that much because you can be relegated and you can be pinged down. So what were those days like? Can't be easy but you've managed them really well. You're still in the top 14. So what were those days like? As you said, the points don't lie. So the fact is we were we were 13th and that was because of how we played at the start of the season. I know in January, it got quite close to the managers of our team getting, getting the sack. But we said as a playing group that it's not on them. The, the results are on the playing group and the way we performed. So we took ownership of that. And I think as soon as that happened, that's when everything turned around. And as you said, it's momentum such a big thing in any sport and especially rugby. 
when that happened and all of a sudden we were winning games, um, playing some great rugby, yes, we felt like we were better than 13th, but it was our reality was the the consequences of how poor we were at the start that we we're most likely going to play this game. So we just said it's we can't worry about where we are. We can just worry about our performances. And, and that's what we had. We had so much confidence from the games leading into it that we knew that we deserved to be in top 14, but it's one game. And Mitch, the first 40 minutes, like we were terrible. We, we played, you know, I probably played one of my worst games of the season that first 40 minutes, copped a yellow card, was, you know, we were probably <laughs> I was shooting myself a bit, to be honest. But we had this calmness, not not arrogance at halftime, but a calmness that just said, okay, it hasn't gone to plan. We've been in this situation before. Let's just stay together, do the simple things well, and it, the result will take care of itself. And that's what we did. And, and I mean, credit to our forwards. They just turned it on in the end and probably won us the game. Thankfully, no one will remember your yellow card in that first 40 minutes. They'll just remember the winning try. See, fine, Jay. It's no, no <laughs> yeah. problem. Oh. I hope not. <laughs> we we actually had Tristan Tedder on a few weeks ago and he was talking to us about that meeting that basically sounds bizarre from the outside, but was sort of like, Patrick Aletta is going to lose his job. Someone stands up. No, he's not. That's it. Done. And he was like, it was so quick in a flash and you all kind of rallied. And it sounds mental from the outside, but exactly what you're saying. Since that point, you're all galvanized and you're all on the same T-shirt. So it's also like, if the ownership could have planned it, they would have set it up like that because it's turned out really well in the end. Yeah, exactly. It, it all worked out. And I just think we, we spoke about it as a playing group. As you said, it happened so quick. It was one meeting and it was just like, no, we want to stay together because the the results are on us. But if they had have got new managers in, then you, you're starting from ground zero. And you, you look at in the top 14, the teams that did um, you know, sacked their coaches and didn't didn't stick with them. Most of their seasons went downhill after. You know, people think it's an easy fix, but it's not. And at the end of the day, you gotta you gotta own your results, and and that's what we did as a playing group. And as you said, it, it, it galvanised the group and just said, you know, this is on us. And if it was kind of you know, live by the sword, die by the sword. If we're going to go down, we're going to go down together. And everyone accepted that. And um, obviously, I, th- I think that was the turning point. Mate, you mentioned the forward pack as well. There's another boy that's just off the block, the latest Tuilagi. Tell us a little oh. bit about Posolo, because he's only 18. He scored a try at the weekend, 6'4", he's about 150 kgs. But what is he going to be like? How good could he be? Oh, it's, it's scary. Really scary. You forget how young he is, you know, and just he is a giant of a human. Um, you know, in preseason, obviously he had the, the name of his dad, and I think there's a lot of expectation that comes with that, but he's just such a quiet, happy, humble kid. And he went about his work. And and to be honest, we didn't really get to see the best of him because he didn't play any games. And I think what he brings is that physicality. And that sometimes in preseason, they don't get to show that. And I don't know what it was. I remember playing a European a Challenge Cup game against Glasgow and he came off the bench and it was just like a – a light bulb moment for him where he just said, I actually am, you know, I'm 140 kilos, six foot, bloody four or five, whatever it is. And, you know, I'm actually hard to stop. And then he got his first chance in top 14 and he is just a beast. Like, I'm, yeah, I'm stoked for him because I think he deserves it. He works hard. He's a happy kid. Um, and, you know, he'll only get better. Like he's, he's a baby really. 
it's actually scary. So I know that I think Perpignan have locked him down for the next couple of years. So hopefully we can hold on to him for a long time. But, um, you know, he's he's scary good. And, you know, I, I don't think he'll be too far off, you know, playing at the that test level because he's just that that physical, that big. He's a he's a complete game breaker. And obviously he's a Tuolangi, as you mentioned. But is he a freak in the nicest possible way in the gym or does he just turn it on? on a rugby pitch and Johnny mentioned 150 clicks. You mentioned 140 in terms of the testing, the measurements, how big is he? How strong is he? Presumably the strongest in the squad, is he? Well, he's so young that I think I wouldn't actually know because obviously backs and forwards, we don't normally do our gym together. I know one of the boys said that in the gym, I think he was warming up on something like 130 kilos on, on bench press. So I'm sure that over time he's going to easily be the strongest in the gym. But I think, you know, yes, he's got all those physical attributes, but the thing that shocks everyone and, and it shocked me is the subtle skill he has, the yeah. ability to offload, the pass before the line, like his hands, he doesn't drop a ball, you know, all that wrapped into with his physical attributes. Like that's what makes him scary is that he's, he's a natural rugby player as well as just being a physical specimen. And you mentioned he's a test-level player in waiting. He's a France under 20 player, but how's his English? Because he was born in England, I think. So could he be English? Yeah, oh, oh, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> nah. nah, I think, I think he's, uh, I think he's pretty committed to France, but his English is great. You know, he's, um, he's a lovely kid. He's really well spoken, very humble, very, very quiet. So yeah, he's a great kid and I'm, I'm sure he'll have a, a huge future. Mate, the scary thing, like you say, is he's only 18. Like, he isn't even developed. Like, I don't know how long he's been training for, but you're talking weights, warming up on 130, which is probably your PB for bench, probably about mine as well. Well, well over. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, But that's it. Like, physically, he's only going to get stronger and more explosive as he comes into, like, his 20s. So, incredible. And like you mentioned, like I compare him to, like, Manny Miafu, and, like, they've both got that physical size, but they've also got the sort of technical ability that can ball handle, take the ball to line, offload, Kind of full package. Um, so really interesting. It's not fair, Johnny. They've already got Paul Willems, uh, like the list goes on. Now Manny Miafu, Masolo Tulangi. Yeah, he, he should be English, surely. But you know what? I reckon there's going to be a change in the guard. But like, see, once you get through the end of this World Cup cycle, they'll be like, I reckon Roman Taufanua, he'll stop. Yeah. Paul Willemsi, I don't know what he'll do. But then, so you've got like, like I think Manny Miafu will come through and be like the next five. But there's another one. You've got Tulagi as well, who... Same physical profile, but really interesting. So, man, I think it's really cool. There's going to be a change of the guard in the World Cup, and there's an opportunity for these boys to come in, get some game time, um, and get stuck in the next cycle. And Pasolo is one of those boys, like playing for, playing for Perpignan, if he keeps going the way he's going, he's going to be there or thereabouts because he's a machine. And Jake, for you personally, obviously you came to France six years ago with Ajen in the top 14, and you've, been, you've bounced back and forth a couple of times. But how did that move come about? Why France? It, it all happened really quickly, to be honest. I was at the Reds and I was there. I was at the Reds when I was 18 and I was there for about five years, including those academy years. And um, it, it was a tough, tough time for me as a rugby player. Just, you know, I kind of came in just after Quaid had left and um, there was these big expectations to keep playing finals footy. But we just, we had such a big change in not only the the players but the staff as well and things just weren't clicking uh, we weren't playing great rugby I personally wasn't playing great 
and I got kind of I felt not not made the scapegoat, but basically a lot of the fingers pointed at me, and you know it was a really hard time where I I hated rugby and I just I was miserable and my um my now wife who um just dating at the time just said that you know there's no point trying to hang around if you if you're not happy and basically Ajen had made the top fourteen um they didn't have a ten for that season and I think it was only maybe three weeks before the season started and my manager just called me and said there's an opportunity here he actually didn't really want me to take it he wanted me to stay in Australia but I just said well the worst at the worst cases I hate I hate it over there and I, I come back so yeah I think I had I think it was something like 12 hours I had to decide whether I was coming or not and anyway signed and came over couldn't speak a word of French had no idea um was a massive culture shock but I just fell in love with everything about France yeah the fell back in love with rugby we started enjoying just enjoying my footy um enjoyed the culture everything and I think after that everything kind of fell into place and then you decided to stay obviously you ended up in Clermont with your next contract as well so how did you enjoy if you could paint a picture of Agen in terms of the place the town the people the club and the same with Clermont like how they compared and contrasted yeah Agen was um I loved Agen um people don't realize how successful they used to be like they were such a big club in France and I had no idea until I got there um, you know, Philippe Seller was our, our manager and he's like, I didn't, I didn't actually know him. And my dad said, mate, he's one of the biggest names in world rugby. But Ajen, it was quite interesting. I'd never been a part, obviously Super Rugby doesn't have relegation. So when we came over, the first thing was we need to stay up in top 14. And I don't think I really understood how important it was. And then... You know, it's a small town, which I loved. I'm, I'm from a very small town in Australia. So I think for me personally, it was just nice and quiet. I just kind of eased into everything. Um, we played some good footy. And it was just great because we managed, I think my first year we finished 11th and then the second year finished 12th. So, you know, we, we, we stayed in top 14. That was our goals and everything was, was great. But I also wanted a bit more i wanted to play uh champions cup rugby i wanted to be able to play in the top six and i could when i was at argen there just wasn't that ambition to try be better they were very content with just staying in the top 14 and that frustrated me but obviously they're limited with their their resources their finances and, and again that's something that when i was that young i didn't understand but i i appreciate now that that's where they were at and yeah I, obviously I, I played well well enough to get noticed by Claremont and I, I was well aware of the history of Claremont and what a big club not only in France they are but Europe and I kind of spoke with Frank Azima who's going to be my new new coach um, but I spoke with him as he was the Claremont coach at the time and I just was never going to turn that down. I actually had the opportunity to go back to Australia then after my contract had finished with Argen and I just said, I can't, I can't say no to Claremont. I've got to go see what it's all about. And even though I was only there for a brief time, it, it was incredible just to experience um, start Michelin to play European Cup rugby. And, you know, they were just, it was just an elite, an elite club to be a part of. So that was pretty special. You mentioned that Frank Azema is coming in at Perpignan next season, so you'll be reacquainted. 
what happened when you were under him at Claremont? Because you mentioned you went home after a short spell there. Was that kind of a, a conscious choice to move back home at that point or what happened? Um, obviously, COVID had hit. Um, I was actually in the process of starting to negotiate my next contract with Claremont. Um, but kind of throughout my time in France, I'd been in contact with Rugby Australia because they were always saying that they wanted to get me back. And when COVID hit, it was kind of an opportunity for me to get out of my contract at Claremont and take up one in Oz. And basically, so I had a lot of contact with Rugby Australia at the time. They were basically they said that they weren't going to pick anyone from overseas, that I had to be back in Australia to play. And I believed them and said, okay, I'll, I'll see what I can do. And I spoke to, to Frank and Neil Mc, um, McElroy. who was yeah McElroy, sorry, who was the team manager, and explained the situation and just said, if I don't go back now, and you know, I might never get the opportunity again because obviously, as one of my dreams is to play for Australia, and they were really good. They understood um, what I was going back for. It had nothing to do with how I was doing at Claremont or whether because I loved Claremont and I loved the rugby there but I, I needed to go back to have that opportunity. And they, they were great about it. So my last conversation with Frank was saying, can I get out of my contract? Uh, but they, they took it really well. They let me go and I was extremely grateful, uh, grateful for that. And yeah, went back to Oz and it didn't work out the way I wanted it to. And luckily enough, I got to come back to Perpignan and now yeah, re- reunited with Frank, which is pretty cool. And you're looking forward to it because you mentioned those types of conversations, which are never easy. Like it's never easy to go and ask to get out of a cut. Like it's something as a player we most of us have had or come across, or it's not an easy scenario. But the fact that it went well, you obviously got on well and you played really well when you're at Claremont as well, and you fit in with the system, like the the systems and the way they play. Are you looking forward to linking back up with them and then coming back to Perpignan? Yeah, I, I really am. I had a lot of a lot of respect for Frank and um i really enjoyed being coached by him he's an extremely hard worker i mean he he demands very high standards from everyone including himself and i i think he's exactly what we need here um someone that's going to come here with that ambition to to be better and make everyone in the group all the coaches all the players be better and i think he's he's a really driven person and i think that 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 becomes almost infectious and he's he's exactly what we need here and I'm, I'm excited just for for everyone involved to to kind of you know relish being coached by him and as an Australian you mentioned it was not that long ago that you went back to Australian rugby and it didn't kind of work out what do you make of the landscape in Australian rugby at the moment because obviously it competes with a lot of other sports and and is kind of low down the pecking order but compared to what you've experienced in france which you obviously love and everything that's positive about rugby union there how do they compare and contrast australia and france well yeah as you said like that in australia we have three different rugby codes we have rugby league rugby union and then you've got your aussie rules so automatically that that creates more competition and we also don't necessarily get the cream of the crop in terms of the playing talent, you know, especially uh, rugby league and rugby union are quite transferable. Um, 
yeah, rugby's struggling in Australia, and it's it's no secret um, financially um, they're struggling. But I think for me, what I found was just the amount of rugby that we play there isn't enough. You know, I in school I would be playing, you know, upwards of fifty plus games throughout it year and then when I turned professional I was lucky to play more than 12 12 games of rugby and I just felt like I was a full-time trainer yeah and I think the hard thing is for Australia is there's no easy fix and I don't think anyone actually knows what's going to work best you know because the thing is there's so many talented rugby players in Australia um, and everyone always says oh you know they struggle um, in terms of the talent that's that's not the case that's an that's bullshit to me. Um, there's plenty of talent. You just look over overseas and see how many guys are playing overseas that are just incredible players. Um, I think it's more so about just harnessing that and creating an actual proper pathway that can capture all the talent because rugby in Australia is very much a white-collared sport. You know, it's for the private schools. Not, my, not many public schools played. I went to a public school and we played rugby league. Um, Whereas rugby league is the blue collared sport and it's for everyone. So I think that we need to change that kind of image, if that makes sense. How big a difference do you reckon Eddie will make coming back in? I think he'll be quite a shock. And from what I've heard, he's already shocked a few boys. What if you I heard? Think, <laughs> uh, a few, few early hour phone calls telling boys that they're, uh, they're not up to scratch and, and things like that. But I'm a, I'm a massive fan. I, I don't know eddie at all but I, I love him i think he's a character and and great for the game in general but um he makes headlines in australia every day he's, he says outrageous things but i think he'll be great i think he's what we need he's just he's just honest to be honest. like he just says what he what he thinks and i think he'll get a definite reaction from the wallabies and i also think the thing that he's bringing is that they need to engage with the community which is what Rugby in Australia doesn't do well. They don't engage with the community. They don't engage outside of the cities. So, like, for me personally, I'm from a small town in um, country New South Wales. They don't they don't really harness all those those kind of places because that's where all the, the fans are, but they just stay in their cities. They stay within the, the private school system, and I think that's really limiting their ability to grow. And there's a couple of good young number 10s coming through in Australia in Super Rugby at the moment. But obviously, Quade Cooper's name is the one on most people's lips ahead of this World Cup. You mentioned that you sort of filled his boots at the Reds as a as a youngster. What's your take on that battle for the Wallaby number 10 journey, Jersey? Is it Quade Cooper or someone else? I think at the moment it probably is, just because when he came back, for the Wallabies a year or two ago, he he was class for them and he made a genuine difference. And since then, I don't think another 10 has really put a stamp on that jersey, I think. And I've never played test match rugby, but I, I believe you have to basically take it. You have to be in that good a form that the coaches turn around and go, we can't ignore how well you're playing. You've earned this. I don't think you can give a jersey to someone that has been beating down the door. Yeah, you've got you've got a few talented tens there. I think Carter Gordon at Melbourne Rebels, I think he'll probably be the future, just the way he's playing at the moment. He's a, he's a big body, he's confident, and he's playing some great rugby. But are you going to put a, a rookie 10 in for the World Cup? I think that's a big call. I think he might be in the squad. But, yeah, I'd say for now it's it's Quades. 
unless someone really steps up in the rugby championship or the games leading into the World Cup. I just realized we got really carried away talking about Wallaby stuff. <laughs> and I completely forgot to ask you about the stuff that I wanted to know about, <laughs> which was the relief of that win, but then the party afterwards. So you mentioned as we came on, you're starting to feel normal. So like, what did it look like? The win in Grenoble, everyone back on the bus, and what did the next two, three days look like? Yeah, we had a, a couple of hours underneath the grandstands, um, having a few beers together. And then I think the bus ride was about five or six hours. Oof. So it was, um, yeah, boys got, I think we arrived in Perpignan at 8 a.m., um, steaming to say the least. And um, basically it was just boys head to straight down to the beach, to one of the beach bars, and we set up camp there. So, yeah, no sleep, into a beach bar, and, yeah, we just went all day and all night. And then, yeah, another beach bar on Monday, and we're about to go to a beach bar this afternoon as well. So yes, um, <laughs> we're nearly done. Don't worry, Joe. We're nearly done. <laughs> there's um, there's worse places to celebrate. I'll tell you what. It was no nah, Sunday was beautiful. You know, it was a great day here in Perpignan. We're on the beach having drinks together, just enjoying each other's company. But um, yeah, it got got a bit out of control. And more important than the gym and the training field, who's leading the charge in this respect on day one, day two, day three? Is it the young Tuolangi? Tell me, he's not good at that as well. No, nah, he's not. He's terrible. He, I'll tell you that. That's one thing you can't do. Um, but I'm sure you'll get better at that. Now, who was leading the charge? I'll tell you what. Who's a surprise is who you had on here the other week is uh, Tristan. You know, not not a big guy, and he's pretty obviously quite a smart guy as well. But he he can drink and he can last more more so he can last. You know, he just doesn't sleep. He's. Um, I, I was quite shocked by that. Johnny, give us some insight. Jake says he's a smart guy. Is there some tactics behind his durability? Or he's a tipper. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he, he's a tipper, a plant pot tipper. No, I'm joking. Ex- no, Trist- Tristan was always good, good endurance. Like never really got loose, but just yeah. kind of always sort of googly eyed in there until the small hours. Um, so good. Uh, it's nice for him as well to finish on a good note to be moving to Paris as well. So uh, good on him. Yeah, he deserves it. And just before you go, Jake, and rejoin the party on the beach, we're both jealous, Johnny and I. We're back to parenting <laughs> after this, so we will, we won't talk about partying too much. Or we'll <laughs> speak for yourself. I'm going to the beach. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I might have to take my children, but there'll be a pen down there, and I can have a beer beside the pen, the play park. It'll be fine. But yeah, give us an insight, Jake, because you're obviously happy in France. You mentioned it earlier on. You moved over to Asia originally six years ago, and then you wanted to make that next step up. Perpignan historically are a massive club. They've won the top 14 not a million years ago. They've been in the Champions Cup final, I think it was 15, 20 years ago. So they are a big club historically, but they've been down, they've come back up, and then they've played a couple of access matches in a row now. So what? give us a sense of what the club is like now. Does it feel like a sleeping giant? Yeah, I, I, I think it does. Um, as, but the fan base here is incredible. The way they support us all year and then in that access match, you know, we, we've got this huge fan base. We've got this crazy history that it's just if we can reawaken it and have some success, it's a club that will just explode, I, I think. And part of my reason for coming here was because they do have that ambition to to get back to where they were and they're very clear about how they want to do it. Um, they're, they're improving the infrastructure around the training facilities and everything like this. Um, they're trying to build a squad that 
doesn't just rely on having to sign these big overseas names. They want to build a strong academy, create their own talent, and then the, the players they get from overseas will be the, the little sprinkle on top. So they've got the ambition, which that's the, probably the most important part is they've got to be have that vision. If they, if they want to just stay around 13th, 12th and just survive, they'll end up getting taken over by someone else that has that ambition. Um, so that ambition's there and, you know, I think it's really exciting times. Hopefully we can, I can be a part of that for, for a while longer and, yeah, see where it takes us. And the fact that you've earned your right to be there next year means you get to build as well, which is even better. Um, talk to us a little bit about this weekend. I know you're going to the beach bar, but you're well-placed. You've got 80% effectively the French team on show this weekend in San Sebastian. How do you see the semis going? So you've got Toulouse against Racing, and we've got La Rochelle against Bordeaux. Who would you tip in those two ties? I think you've got to go go to two heavyweights, La Rochelle and Toulouse. I, I just think all year they've been the clear standouts. You know, La Rochelle coming off, winning the Champions Cup, Toulouse with all their players well-rested. Um, I just think that they're going to be too strong and they're going to be up for this game. You know, racing had a strong finish at the end of the season, but will they be a bit bit more fatigued? Yeah, I, I just can't see La Rochelle and Toulouse playing poorly in this game. I think they're, they've got the experience, they've got the players and they're, both super hungry. I, I think that'll be the final and I reckon it's going to be massive. Thanks so much for coming on, Jake. Massive congratulations on the win over Grenoble at the weekend. Fingers crossed, no more access matches in years to come and you'll be at the heart of Perpignan's climb up the table. We'll let you get back to the beach party and keep an eye on Tristan and those plant pots for us as well. Will do. Thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. It's good fun. Cheers, Jake. Thanks a lot, mate. Cheers, guys. Great to have Jake on, Johnny. I didn't realise we were keeping him from what, day three, day four? I don't know what it is now. You shouldn't be doing podcasts instead of the no. beach bar, let's be honest. Um, no, it's just really cool to have on. He's a guy that's done really well in the top 14 over the past few years, but I think as well, just when you scratch the surface, people maybe from the outside don't realise what an institution Perpignan is, like massive Catalan following, really proud people, and historically a huge rugby team. So the fact that they're still there is pretty cool, especially given what's just happened, what we've seen has just happened with Grenoble. Um, makes it more just so well done to him well done to the team and I hope they enjoy the rest of celebrations four weeks off so there'll be a few more days in the beach bar I'd imagine um, but well deserved and Jake mentioned the top 14 semi-finals this weekend couldn't look past Toulouse and La Rochelle what do you reckon Johnny? I'm with Jake mm. um, look the two I keep banging on about it maybe there'll be an upset maybe there'll be a red card or there'll be an incredible performance I don't know but like just when you look at the quality and depth that Toulouse and La Rochelle have, they are. I think that's the final everyone wants to see and it's the two teams that have played the best rugby throughout the course of the season. They're also becoming like Rodgers or Dynasty, but the pair of them there, like the way they've gone on this season, the way they've played over the past two or three seasons, they've both been phenomenal to watch. So yeah, I think they'll be too strong for both Racing and Bordeaux. Although they'll get down there as knockout rugby, you never know what could happen. The big two are definitely the favourites to go through and make the final at Stade de France the following weekend. And obviously, it could be Finn against Roman Entomac in the first of those semi-finals. In the second, Antoine Hastoy against Mathieu Jalibert. There's some kind of fascinating sideshow there in terms of Fabien Galtier's World Cup squad as well, Johnny. Yeah, I don't think... 
I think Matthew Jaliber is still the better individual player. I think that Antoine Hastoy plays within a better system that's probably more effectively coached and the sort of team flourishes with big hitters around it. But Matthew Jaliber is a phenomenal talent. So I'd say in the pecking order, it's still uh, Roman Intermac, Matthew Jaliber, Antoine Hastoy. That being said, Fabian Galtier was talking about Antoine Astor again this week in the press, just saying how impressed he's been, um, seeing his evolution, the fact he's done it differently. He's moved club to a bigger, different club to try and improve himself, and he's been really impressed. But will that be enough to oust Matthew Jalibert from second spot? I don't think so. But yeah, looking forward to that as a game. Uh, Bordeaux, La Rochelle in general, loads of great head-to-heads, and that one certainly, the 10 battle, will be fascinating to follow. And one bit of news hot off the press... Alex Ruiz, Johnny, we've spoken to people at Montpellier not long ago. He's joined their coaching staff from being one of the top referees in France. He's now taken a job as head coach of Soyo Angoulême in Pro de Deux. So we've got a referee, not just becoming an assistant coach, now becoming a head coach. Incredibly. Mm-hmm. Um, and Angoulême is where so my old coach at Bayonne, Vincent Achetto, was there. He's just left the club. And Alex Ruiz, I'm really interested to see how that goes in that I have absolutely no idea. But obviously he knows his onions. They've asked him to take the job. He's obviously sold them a vision that he can take the club to a new level. They've kind of been battling in the relegation basement throughout the course of the season. They've just stayed up. But is that going to be the first of quite a few that we see? I mean, there's been quite a few boys have skipped over and joined coaching departments in very definite individual roles. But this is the first real generalist someone that's been picked to lead an organization, which is a massive change. And yeah, healthy, uh, coming from a different background, maybe a different point of view. And it'll be interesting to see how that evolves over pre-season and as the games kick off at the start of next season. Thanks, Johnny. A big thanks to Jake for joining us too. And thanks to all you guys for listening. Make sure you hit subscribe, leave us a nice review if you can. Check us out on Rugby Pass and on YouTube. And we'll be back with another episode next week. Au revoir, Johnny. Cheers, mate. Bye.